Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you uh, again for your word. I thank you, Lord, uh, for these words of Paul and uh, the promises that they bring. And uh, Lord, today, as we dive into what can be seen as a mystery, may we be reminded, too, of what you have revealed and hold firmly to that good news. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Many years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to preach Uh, one of my first sermons ever. Uh, It was in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I was a youth director working at a neighboring church, and the pastor uh, wanted to go on vacation. And so he reached out uh, to me and said, hey, Dave, would you be interested in preaching uh, at my church? And I was like, oh, man, this would be awesome. And so uh, he gave me like a month or two notice, and, uh, and I did all kinds of studying preparation planned out. I knew the text. It was the parable of the prodigal son. I read like three books to get prepared and all of these things. And he made me write out a manuscript, which then he read and he revised that manuscript and then decided that uh, I would have to preach that sermon to him in person, just one-on-one. And he gave me some feedback and all kinds of things. The point is, by the time that Sunday came and I was there and he was on vacation, I was ready to go. I was prepared. And I had kind of the typical things that I try to do, which is I had a joke or two, (laughs) some cultural references, uh, a deep insight So deep that, in fact, in the first service, there was a guy in the third row who fell asleep. (laughs) And he literally was snoring, and everybody heard it and interrupted the message. But that's one other thing, all right? And and I preached, and and Christ was proclaimed, because that's what we do, as as the sermon is supposed to do. And my mom thought it was the best sermon in the world, because my mom listens to every one of my messages and she thinks I'm awesome. So mom, you're listening to the podcast, hi. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, but, but afterwards at this church, they had this thing that they did that was kind of unique and beautiful. Uh, they had the opportunity for people in the message to text in their questions to an anonymous number. And so at the end of the message, the preaching pastor would then spend about five to 10 minutes to answer the questions that would come in during the message. And so at the end of my sermon that weekend, I was told by the person who was looking at the cell phone that there was one question that was texted in. And it was this question that came in. How could God allow someone into heaven like Hitler just because he believed in a resurrection. When a good person who lived a decent life and not believe in a resurrection, not be in heaven, does God predetermine who is in heaven or who is in hell? So here I was, so prepared for everything, and then I'm sitting here looking at the text message and I'm like, 
do I have to answer this? Got in front of this church and was just like, all right, I'm going to begin with Pastor Matt will be back next weekend. (laughs) And I have no idea how to tackle this thing. In fact, I, I don't know. And as I think about this question that was asked that day, uh, it, it tells me that this is an important question that we ask. And maybe not in this way, but we ask it in many different ways. Does God predetermine those who are in and those who are out? How could a God who loves people then have something that would eternally separate them from him? I mean, this is a big question that we have to ponder and wrestle with. What kind of God would do that very thing to offer forgiveness to somebody who doesn't deserve it? And in fact, today, I want to spend some time leaning in to this question. In fact, give us some boundaries here and hopefully an application for us today. We're in the middle of this series called Chosen, and we're talking about what it means to be chosen. And so far, what we've discussed is that as we read the scriptures, we read that God chose us, not because we've earned it or or because we deserve it or because he felt sorry for us, but because he loved us. Amen? That that's why our God chooses us. And in the process of choosing us, he chooses us for good works. I mean, we just had the World Vision campaign and Chosen that happened this last couple of weeks, and I'm so thankful for you guys and the, the, just the work that has happened. But he also chooses us for relationship, that God puts a premium, that his choosing is in relationship. And today, I want to lean into these words that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 1. Notice the beauty of these words. He says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to his purpose and will. There's some beautiful things that Paul is pointing out here in this passage. You notice that he says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, he says, he chose us in him, being Jesus, before the foundation of the world. Before everything was created, what Paul is saying is that God has chosen us. And then he goes on to say here that not only that, but he has predestined us. He has adopted us to himself through Jesus according to his good and purpose and will. There's some beautiful things that Paul is saying here. But also it starts to beg the question, what about those who aren't chosen? What about those who don't know? Does God just predetermine those in and those out? It kind of reminds me of this image. Uh, has anybody ever seen this image before? All right, um, let's, this is interesting. Um, what do you see? Tell me, what, what do you see? Anybody have an answer? All right, uh, who sees the beautiful woman here in this picture. All right, look around. 
all right? You can see uh, with her chin there and the hat on, who sees the old woman in this picture? Raise your hand. Anybody see it? Okay, kind of trippy, right? Who sees both? Yeah, there you go. Y'all, y'all have maybe seen this before. Uh, this, this picture is actually called uh, My Wife and My Mother-in-Law. And you can see that it's portraying uh, two different images. That inside of the image, you can see where the chin line is of the beautiful woman, but then for the old woman, that's the nose, right? And what's kind of interesting about this image is I think when we come to these big questions of God, in particular when we look at predestination, what's challenging for us is we just look at it really quick and say, oh, beautiful thing. Or we just say, oh, that's gross and ugly. But what we need to do is we need to lean in, to focus, to see what is really going on here. And so my intention today with this big question of why some and not others is to give us some boundaries. And one of them is going to be beautiful and one of them might be hard to hear. But then I want to give us something that we have to cling and hold on to here. So if you're taking some notes, you're going to want to write this down. The first one is this. Boundaries about our God choosing according to the Bible. Looking at the totality of Scripture, we can say this about what the Bible says and who our God is. The first boundary that we need to hold on to is this. Is that God desires for all people to know him. And throughout Scripture, you're going to read this. That God God's plan is that all people would know him. In fact, it says this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes these words. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people, not just some, not just those that look a certain way or act a certain way. No, he desires for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is what God's intention and plan is. He wants all people to know who he is. This is the beautiful side of this image that God wants us to see, that he, he wants us to know him. In fact, there's another passage here that we actually read from in Matthew 25 that kind of has an interesting perspective here. These are the words of Jesus in the story of where Jesus is separating the goats and the sheep. It's this image of the final judgment. And notice what Jesus says here in Matthew 25, verse 41. He says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, which was prepared for the devil and his angels. Notice the intentional detail that Jesus is giving here. That eternal separation wasn't intended for humans. But our God is a God of justice. That, that separation from him was for the devil. Not for us. His intention is that he wants us to know him. This is the good and beauty of our God. But here's the other side, the ugly. The other boundary that we need to hold on to is that you and I are not God. You and I are not God. And throughout scripture, we're gonna read this over and over again. We're not God. 
Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah 41.10. He says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. You're not God. I've chosen you that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. Uh, There's plenty of examples that we could use to talk about how we realize that we're not God, but I'll give you three of them. You and I are not God because we're not present everywhere. It's a requirement of being God. We literally can't be present everywhere. You and I aren't God because we don't know everything, right? If these last couple years have really told us some things, we're struggling to understand what to know about all things. And we can't fix everything. There is so much brokenness in this world. And the reality is is that you and I aren't God because of our limitation, because of who we are. And I think we are willing to say that We're maybe willing to express that, but we don't understand how offensive it is when we go to God and talk about that we don't have limits. Or when we think that that I can fix everything, or that I do know it all, or that I can be present everywhere. We don't understand how offensive that can be to our God. The best way that I can kind of share that with you would be like this. Uh, Imagine that... um, that you were in my shoes, right? And uh, I had this long day at work. And, and I come home, and my wife is at home, and uh, she's making dinner, and she's crushing it, as she always does, all right? Dinner is fantastic in our house. And, and the kids are there around the, the kitchen table, and they're sitting in their seats, and they're all eating. And I show up at home, and there's a guy in my seat. We'll call him Carl with a K, all right? And Carl is sitting in my seat. Not a real person, all right? Thank you, babe. Yeah, not a real person, but for the sake of this image. And imagine if you're in my shoes, what that would be like if you walk in and you see somebody in your seat. And I approach Carl with a K and I'm like, yo, Carl, what's going on, dude? Are you here visiting? What are you, what are you doing? And if Carl were to say to me, you know what, Dave, um, I've kind of decided that, um, that I think I could be a better husband to your wife than you. Or I could be a better father to your kids than you. There would have to be some other people called over to the house for Carl with a K. Chris is here with the police, right? We're, we're going we're gonna to call somebody over, right? Do you see how offensive this is when we say this to God? When we say that I know everything, that I can fix everything, that I can be present in everything, what we are saying is that, God, I think I can be in your seat. I think I'm better and know more than you. And could you imagine, I, I, I think so much in our world right now, we, we, wanna, we wanna cancel people or we wanna have conspiracy theories about things. 
And all of these tensions here, right? And we want to just cast judgment all over the place. And we're like, why would, why would God allow somebody to get in heaven that did that? And we would think that when we get to heaven, we're going to look around and be like, oh my gosh, how are you there? But the reality is we should say, how in the world did I get here? By the grace of God, I got here. And we spent so much time focusing on others and trying to be God. And we don't understand how offensive that can be. Because here's the news. God was here before you got here. He's going to be here after you get, when you leave this place. And praise God for that. And see, this is what we need to understand. We need to hold on to these tensions. We need to understand that God's desire is that he chooses all people to know him. He wants everybody to know him. And on the second part, he wants us to know that we are not God. But this leads us to the result. A result is that we cling to God's plan of salvation. See, here's the good news about our God, is that our God has a plan of salvation to, to rescue us. I love this, this verse here that Paul says in verse, verse five of Ephesians one. He says that he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. What we read that Paul is saying is that God is the one who's doing the choosing. He has adopted us. He's called us. He's brought us into the family. He's the one that makes the first move. And what we believe here at this church is that we believe that God does that through this beautiful but very simple act of baptism. That God is, is marking us. He is making us new. The best image that I can give for baptism would be uh, like this. It's kind of funny, ironic, in light of what happened this last week. But um, for any of you Bears fans out there, which Mitch Trubisky, right? Like you remember the day when Trubisky, they, the Bears went up to the second overall pick to get this guy. And we're all like, what are you doing? Yeah, you got to be crazy. But the reality is that in this moment, the people who were in charge, they determined that that person was our God. And what God is doing is he's doing that with us. And sure, there's got to be all kinds of people who know you and are like, really, that guy? Her? You're kidding me. You, you know their past, what they did in college? You know the things that happened and went on? But what God is saying is that, no, you're on my team. I'm choosing you first. Now, here's the thing. Mitch Trubisky could have said, you know what, Bears, I know how this is going to work out. I mean, certainly we can decide and choose to just walk away and, and, and just say, you know what, no. But there's this tension at play that we have to be reminded that God is the one who's doing the choosing. God's the one who acted first. And what we believe is that that's found through, through Jesus, what he did for us first. That by his death and resurrection, by what he did for you and me, he's declared where he stands with us. Martin Luther talked about it this way. He says um, that we have to understand this, 
this idea of, of, their, uh, of the hidden God and the revealed God. And what Luther was saying is that um, there are parts of who God is that will be hidden to us, that are mysterious, that we cannot explain. In fact, the brokenness that exists in our world is very deep. I appreciate the prayer of Rosa. The, the, we saw once again this last week how deep the hatred is in our world. Just because somebody looks different than you. I mean, we, we have mental illness in our world. It is a struggle. We have miscarriage and things that are out of our hands that are horrific. There are things that we just don't understand. And what Luther says that those are the hidden pieces of God. And we can't explain them to our best efforts. But there is the revealed God, Luther says. That God has shown himself to us by Jesus. And I love this quote by Luther. He says this, it's it's. Fantastic. He says that it is the most ungodly and dangerous business to abandon the certain and revealed will of God in order to search into the hidden mysteries of God. You hear this? What Luther is saying is that what's dangerous for us is that we can get into all of the hidden mysteries of God and try to reason all of these kinds of things and in the process of doing that, abandon what God has done. You can't change what God has done. Historically, he has risen from the dead. That's not changing. And so the revealed will of God is one that he has come and died for you and me. It doesn't mean that we don't ask these questions. It doesn't mean that. I'm not saying that. But we can't forfeit what God has revealed the process of questioning the mysterious. So if I could go back to Knoxville and answer that question, how could God allow someone in heaven, like Hitler just because he believed in a resurrection when a good person who lived a decent life and not believe in a resurrection not be in heaven? Does God predetermine who's in heaven and who's in hell? I remember in that day, I certainly first started with, I don't know. And that might be a really great place to start for us. But I wish I could go back and I hope for us here today that we would hold on to these boundaries, that we would know that God desires for all people to be saved. That is what his word says. And at the same time, too, we will always wrestle with the struggle that you and I are not God. And so what that means for us in the meantime is we cling and we hold on to God's plan of salvation. This is what it means for us as followers of Jesus. One last story here that comes from the word of God. I think it's comforting to know um, that we are not the only people in time who have wrestled with these mysterious things of God. Uh, in, if you're in one of our small groups, we're going to be finishing the Gospel of John this, this coming week. And at the very end of John's Gospel, there's this beautiful story of Jesus and Peter, Peter being one of Jesus' disciples. And uh, Jesus reinstates Peter. Remember, he 
betrays him. He denies him three times. And they're on the shore, and, and Jesus reinstates Peter to go and do ministry. And right after this moment happens, we read that, that John, the gospel writer, is following them, he writes. And in it, Peter says this to Jesus. When Peter saw him, being John, who was following him, he said, Lord, what about this man? It, is he going to betray you, is the question. Because what Peter was understanding, you can read about it this next week here, is that Peter says, all right, God, I know that we're good now, Jesus, but what about John? What's the future with him? Is he going to betray you too? And look at Jesus' response here. He says this, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you, Peter? You follow me. It's all right that we're going to wrestle with these big, mysterious questions about God. But if it leads us into a place of not following Jesus, I'm concerned. Because here again, what Jesus says to Peter, he says, you know what I want you to know? Is that I'm the one who has the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else you can go to receive those. And so my prayer for us, that as we wrestle and as we try to understand God, may we hold on to these boundaries, but more so cling to his revealed plan. Let's pray. God, thanks so much that you are a God who, is, who puts things into action, a God whose plan is for all to know you. And yet, Lord, at times we wrestle and struggle to, to trust that you know better than us. God, I pray that, um, that as we wrestle and as we have conversations with people that you place in front of us, may we just hold on to these things, these promises that you bring. And Lord, um, May we find life in them, knowing that, that you bring life to the fullest. We don't have to have all the answers. We're not, we're not God. We're not you. Yet, God, um, we just pray that we would know you a little bit more fully in the good and in the struggle. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.